are the poor in spirit, blessed are the ones in need. For every thirst and every hunger, you are everything. Blessed are the worn and weary, blessed are the ones who To know you is to want you, and I want nothing more than you. To see you is to love you, and I can't believe I get to, and I want nothing more than you. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here in the space as well as online this morning. Welcome. 
Hear the word of the Lord from the Psalms. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Good morning, everyone. My name is Linda Gerink, um, and I do this a little more often, and it's still, I get nervous every time. So if you see me shaking, just ignore it. Um, th this morning, I'd like to invite the kids for their classes now. If you guys want to join up at the door by Mr. Keekenville, that would be great. And then we will send you out with a blessing to have your own time to learn more about what God says in the Bible. So adults, we get to be first. Let's do this well. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Fantastic. Good job. You guys enjoy yourself. This morning has been an interesting morning already. For a couple months already, God has been going, he's been nudging me in a certain way, going, Linda, the people need to pay attention to their own hearts. Like, Lord, it's easier just to pray for Afghanistan and um, Ukraine because there's a war going on, right? But I got to look at my own heart. I got to help these people look at their own heart. What does that look like? And um, until this morning, um, my daughter called me before 7 o'clock this morning. And we watched the sunrise over the ocean. And if that doesn't just set your heart, that your daughter wanted to share something with you, that was so precious. And it was so beautiful because just before that, he gave me the verse that we have to do. And I'm like, wow. And... I was asking her about it. I was going with her. And then um, she gave me this verse. And I thought, this is a perfect way to start our prayer. So our prayer today is going to look a little different. I'm not going to pray for Ukraine. I'm not going to necessarily pray for all the prayer requests that come in. But I know you guys do. The people that have prayer in their heart, they lift those up to God all the time. So today, I just want you to be quiet. Settle your heart. If things come to mind, try and push them off again because this is a time that we get to be with God, just one-on-one. -on -one. So just try and enjoy what he may be wanting to say to you. Let's pray. Lord, help my heart not be proud. Help my eyes not to be haughty. Help us not to concern ourselves with great matters or things too wonderful for us to comprehend. Calm and quiet ourselves. Calm us like a weaned child with its mother. Lord, help us to start to be content in the quiet. Lord, start to show us a little bit of the mystery of you. It's too much to comprehend, 
but help us not to put it off. Lord, show us who we are in your eyes, not what the world wants to label me as, but who you label me as, Lord. Listen, daughter and son. Pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Lord, we know that you can make wars cease. You break the bow, you shatter the spear, you burn the shields. But then you say, be still and know that I am God. God will be exalted among the nations. God will be exalted in this earth. Lord, help us. We have so much coming at us. Help me to be still and exalt you wherever I step. Amen. Thank you, Linda. I uh, have to confess that uh, in my quiet time this morning, as I was preparing my heart, one of the things I prayed for was for more quiet. And... Uh, 
Honestly, that's what I wrote because I'm, I am, I don't know, I have an aversion to quiet. Like I, I fill my quiet with noise and, and videos of cooking steak. And I'm like, how many times can I watch a ribeye <laughs> on YouTube? But there's something about stepping out and just being in the quiet that it is a rare thing in our culture. So I appreciate um, Linda for that. <sighs> Good morning. Uh, I can say happy Easter. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Should we do that one more time? Christ is risen. Christ, I love it. Thank you. I love that. Uh, if you are not aware, I know this, um, I, I, I sometimes forget this, but the, there's a 50-day period between when we celebrate Easter Sunday to when we celebrate Pentecost, 50 days Pentecost, and that season, those 50 days, we call Easter Tide, and so we're still in the season of Easter, and so we can still say things like, he is risen, and he is risen indeed, and uh, we're also in the season of, of uh, spring, is it spring in Michigan? What in the world? Snow, earlier this week, 80s, I don't know, anyway, we love Michigan, amen, yeah, it's a wonderful place to live. Just a quick little uh, word, in your bulletin, uh, there's, there's these little uh, half sheet of papers, that's our bulletin, there's some announcements there, there's a budget report, and so just want to say thank you for your continued faithfulness, uh, check that out, as well as there was a separate little flyer for women's ministry, uh, women's ministry is doing a ton of events, I think two a month for the next months to the end of the year, and so if you're looking for ways to connect with other women, um, check that out, look for those opportunities, you can also also find that on the website, and there's a Facebook group. I was not invited to the Facebook group, but there is a Facebook group. Uh, check that out, and you can find out more information there. Uh, but anyway, during this Easter Tide series, uh, we are starting a new series, and uh, it, when we read, you're gonna. It's it, for me. It was like I got okay. We are in Paul because all of a sudden it's kind of jarring from going from the narratives like Exodus and the Gospel stories to then going to to Paul, the, these letters that Paul wrote, and we're going to be studying the book of Colossians. And, uh, and we're going to spend some time this morning kind of as an introduction to Colossians and also kind of just kind of recalibrating and reframing our minds around uh, this genre, right, genre and context of Pauline letters. And, and these things matter. So we're going to talk about that and why that matters. Then we're going to jump into a little bit of content and then make some connections to our own time. But before we do that, a quick overview. Um, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but Bible Project check out BibleProject.com. They have these beautiful overviews of every book of the Bible. And so it's just like an easy like five to eight minutes and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I have a handle on this book of the Bible. And so these are just visual and the videos just kind of, they draw the video and kind of explain more. We're gonna kind of be in that top section uh, where it's talking about what Paul is thankful for and what he's praying for. Next week is really the crux of the whole book. The letter is this, uh, this, this hymn, this Christ poem, uh, talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna get there. But again, I can't emphasize enough Bible Project is an excellent resource. And then after that, the weeks following is going to be all these implications. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? And what does that mean for the people 2,000 years ago in the city of Colossae? And what does that then mean for our lives as well 2,000 years later? We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. Uh, but before we do, let's read our passage this morning. We're going to be reading Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. If you're willing and able... I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us 
once again. Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our, fellow ser- our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's a sentence right there. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for these words penned 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we thank you for how these words written in a time and a place continue to speak truth that ministers to our hearts and our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, move and challenge and comfort through your, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This, uh, I, th- I think I've shared this. This past March, I had a birthday. Does anyone remember how old I turned? You don't have to know that. 39, yeah, I don't know why I asked you that. Like, how old's your pastor? That's not on the top list of things you should know. But anyway, I turned 39. And so it's kind of like, you know, inching into that 40 uh, zone. And, and so I know that's not all that old, it's relative, depending who you ask. Some of the younger people are like, that's pretty old, you know. Some of the older people are like, that's not that bad, you know. Anyway, whatever, it's not that old. Uh, but there are things that, that make me feel old in life, and maybe this is kind of reminiscent of, is it an insurance company that says, like, don't become like your parents? Do you know these? Yeah. <laughs> Those are some of the funniest commercials. Um, but, but one of the things that makes me feel old is, is when this, a variation of this thought uh, comes to my mind, um, and I think... You know, these, these young whippersnappers don't know how easy they got it, you know. Okay, I don't actually think whippersnappers, but just for a little emphasis. Right, like these young people, these kids, they don't know how easy they got it. And, and this, could, this could apply to a whole bunch of different things, like, like TV remotes, you know, us old curmudgeons, you know. You guys have remotes. 
when I was growing up, I had to walk up to the TV and turn the dial to UHF and then go to the other channel. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See, I'm a little bit older than you think, maybe. Or, or, or um, let's say Yvonne and I were dating back in like grade school back then. She would never have dated me back then. But anyway, um, and, I, and, I, and I call and I wanted to call her. What would I have to do? I'd have to call her home number. You kids don't know how easy you got it. So then I'd have to, I'd have to get to her mom who's here and I'd have to say, hello, Mrs. Raritan. Uh, is Yvonne there? And then, she, you know, she'd give me the third degree. Like, why are you calling my, right? You guys don't know how easy you have it. You just have to send a little text message, right? Okay, all that. The, the other one that really was popping in my head was, was GPS. GPS, which is not that old of a technology, really. Um, GPS, so you, and before we had smartphones, you had to have like a Garmin, like a GPS unit, and that cost a lot of money, and so I didn't have that. And, and, and so then it tells you exactly where to go. And then what happens if you take a wrong turn? Rerouting. I don't know if the Google Maps does that, but the old Garmin is there, right? Rerouting, rerouting, right? And then they'll, it'll put you back on the right path. When Yvonne and I were dating over 15 years ago, what did we have to do? I mean, this was pretty advanced back then. We'd go on to Google Maps, or we'd go on to MapQuest, you remember this? And you print off the turn-by-turn -turn directions, it's there in the center graphic, and, and, and so then it would give you all these different turns on where you needed to go. But what happens if you take a wrong turn? You're toast. <laughs> like, that's it. You're gonna get lost somewhere, there's no way to, to recalibrate, reorient, like, you're, you're, you're done. And then on the, on, the, on the left side of the screen, does, has anyone used with AAA the triptych? Does anyone know what that, yeah. So Yvonne, like the first time when we moved to Michigan, we went to the AAA office and we told them where we were going and we got this like, like 400 page triptych thing to direct us from California all the way to Michigan. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. Or does anyone remember just maps? You remember maps? Yeah, yeah. There used to be just paper maps. Anyway, and now you young whippersnappers, Google maps and turn by turn. Okay, so anyway, little kind of fun, but... All that was just got me thinking because what we're talking about today is not Google Maps. Um, but I was thinking about, about life decisions, right? And what if, what if, what if there was an app for life decisions called Google Decisions? Thank the good Lord that that is not a real thing. That's not true. That there isn't because that would be that would be horrible. Anyway, but just imagine with me for a moment that there was this thing that you could, you could plug in the destination you want to go. Maybe not a destination on a map, but let's say I want to I get into Hope College on a scholarship. And I plug that in, and then all of a sudden throughout high school I have this little thing telling me, you better study a little more for your biology exam. Oh, okay, Google, you know. And you have all these like turn by turn, or, 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 or how, do I, how, do I, how do I make my spouse happy? Rerouting rerouting. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Or how do I raise my kids? How do I get along with my neighbor? Just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had an app that just said, like, tell me what to do, right? Now, of course, that's a silly thought because there is, like, life is way too complicated. Life is, is filled with way too many variables. Like, there's no way that there could ever be an app that could tell us exactly what to do each moment of our lives. Because life is, it's complicated, right? It's not simple. Um, welcome to our need for what we're going to talk about today, which is wisdom. Right? We need we need wisdom, which is more than just an app. And we're going to talk a little bit more about wisdom this morning. 
But before we jump into wisdom, I just want to look at the context of, of the book of Colossians. I don't know about you, but when I sat down Monday morning and started reading Colossians chapter one, well, I read through the whole letter, it was almost like I got whiplash because we've been in like narrative accounts and we've been in the gospel and reading stories which have a certain pace. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, we get to Colossians and it's just like, he's just going with words and things and it's like, what does this all mean? So just kind of like, to, to kind of just get back into where are we going and where are we at. We are in uh, Colossians, a letter of Paul, and we're going to talk about the context throughout this series, uh, but I think it's worthwhile to just kind of give a, a quick overview. Let's begin with something that's huge. Whenever we're looking at a passage of Scripture to understand genre, genre, okay? Genre is so important. And the genre of uh, the, the letters of Paul, all of them, are they're an ancient letter. And so they have a lot of things in common. So in fact, the first two verses, we can see that this is a typical kind of opening for Paul and for an ancient letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So introducing Paul and Timothy, these are the ones who are bringing forth this letter. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our father so in, in, in a way this is like the ancient version of dear so-and-so right this is way cooler than dear so-and-so or however we we open up letters or emails it's an it's a letter now it's important to recognize the bible is made up of several different genres of literature you have you have narratives or story based in history right uh, but story um, based in history that that has a, a certain uh that's a certain genre, but there's also poetry and song in the Psalms that we just read during our prayer time. There's wisdom literature. This summer, we're going to look at the Proverbs. Wisdom literature is a little different. Apocalyptic literature, uh, that's different. We have letters. We have parables. There's different genres throughout the scriptures. And when you read a passage, it's important to know what genre you are in. Um, and because you read different genres differently, right? You read poetry differently then you read story. You read a parable differently than you would read other parts of the Gospels that are based in history. Right? Because we understand that, that the parable, there's, there's not an actual person in the parable, but in, in the Gospels, Jesus is an actual historical figure. Right? We, we read them differently. And the same is true when you're reading a letter. Uh, particularly a letter written 2,000 years ago, written not particularly to you, like no offense, but Paul was not writing to fusion, right? Um, now does that mean we, of course we can glean things, we can gather things, they're incredibly powerful, but, but consider this for a moment. Just imagine, maybe you don't have to do this, but imagine like a letter you wrote five years ago or an email you wrote five years ago to a close personal friend or maybe your spouse and in that letter or in that email there's all these things, if you were to read that, maybe you referred to like, oh man, that show was amazing last night. Or, oh man, last night, what a, what a beautiful sunset and nothing much else needs to be said. Or if it's someone super close, you might, you might mention or kind of allude to some kind of inside joke or some television program you were watching. Five years later, if you were to read that, some of the things being referred to, you'd be like, I, I don't remember exactly what happened. Like, I don't remember what I was referring to. Uh, oh, that show, okay, yeah, Friends, okay, yeah, Raw, okay, yeah, okay, I remember that a little bit. But now imagine it's someone who's not you. 
So like five years later, it's hard to understand and connect all these things. But imagine now someone reading like 2,000 years later and they're like, Google Maps, like what's that, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like it, it, it's difficult for an outsider to read someone else's mail and understand all of the insights and inside jokes and things being referred to, referenced, um, if, if you're not part of the audience, right? Because when you're writing a letter, there's all these things that you assume that the audience already knows. Does that make sense? And so we have to just keep that in mind as we read Paul's letters. And again, Paul is writing in a completely different context. He's writing 2,000 years ago in a completely different world. It's the same gospel. That doesn't change. The gospel of God's grace, the truth of Jesus Christ. But there's, it's, it's written into a completely different world and context. So when we're reading a letter, we have to understand that Paul's not writing like a, like a theology book where all the theology is systematically like put together to make sense. Right? He's not writing like an instruction manual to give us specific instructions on how we are to navigate life in the 21st century. He's writing a letter to a people, a church, a group of people in the city of Colossae in the first century. And we have to just recognize that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But let's talk about context right now. Let's get into the context of Colossians. Again, Throughout this series, we're going to talk about context, okay? So just, just a kind of an overview of the context of the people in Colossae. By the way, Paul is writing to a church that he's never been to before. He's writing from prison. Uh, Colossae was planted by Epaphras, who is referenced in this passage, uh, likely during the time when Paul was in Ephesus. He spent like three years in Ephesus, and so Epaphras goes, plants this church in Colossae, and, and it, it explodes. It like does really well. It's doing really well, and so Paul is writing based on reports he's gotten while he's in prison. Uh, also, uh, world history tells us that at about around 70 AD, there was a massive earthquake that destroyed the city of Colossae, and it was not rebuilt which some scholars believe, which is why Colossae wasn't one of the churches listed in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Anyway, giving you way more, uh, but it's kind of interesting, right? So that's some of the context as far as Colossae, but Paul is writing to a church that is under certain pressures, right? In the ancient world, and you have factions of the church, again, coming up from a, from, as a Jewish movement predominantly originally. So there's these internal kind of religious pressures from the Jewish uh, this Jewish faction, but there's also these kind of external pressures that they're facing from being in a Roman city under the Roman Empire. Okay, so some of those things that we're going to touch on during this series is, and we're going we're to touch on them, is like Roman polytheism. All right, so that's some of the world that they're living in. Uh, there's these household codes, like patriarchal power dynamics in the ancient Roman world. That's going to come up in this series. Uh, there's this Torah observance f- coming from the, the Jewish side, right? Not only that, next week we're going to really talk about this, is, is in the ancient Roman world, like the, the, the confession that the Roman people were expected to declare is, Caesar is Lord. And as Christians, who's Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so all of a sudden, there is this contrast in this competition. Caesar, Jesus, like, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, like a controversial thing to say, like Jesus is world. So these are all some of the dynamics that are happening in first century Colossae that it is important to just have, a, have an understanding of. And we're gonna, again, we're going to talk about this throughout the system. So 
Context. Genre is important. Context is important. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Kind of an overview. Okay, let's jump into the content of Paul's letter uh, that we just read. Verses 1 and 2 is kind of that opening greeting. Looking at content, Paul, Paul opens this greeting uh, addressing who he's talking to, identifying who's writing this letter. By the way, uh, an ancient letter would be delivered by hand. And so Paul and Timothy would give this letter to someone. That person would come, hand the letter, and then read the letter to the church community. But after this greeting, then, Paul writes uh, a couple things that, that happens a lot in his letters. He writes his thanks, and he opens with this word of thanksgiving, thanking God for some things, and then praying for the people. And those are kind of the two movements. If you look at other letters from Paul, a lot of those letters open with a word of thanks. I thank my God every time I think of you. I think that's Philippians, right? So you have this kind of similar format in his letters. But let's just kind of talk about those two primary movements. Thanks to God for certain things, and then praying to God for the people of Colossae. Let's begin with uh, the thanking God. He thanks God for virtue. He thanks God for the virtue that's being reported to him by Epaphras. And notice, and so I kind of have the passage there with some things highlighted in in capital letters. Notice the things he mentions. We're not going to dive deep into every single word, but notice the things he mentions. He thanks God for your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all God's people, and then he says that faith and that love springs from a hope stored up for you in heaven. Do those three words sound... Faith, hope, and love. Some have said these are kind of the, the, I can't remember where I read this, but that these are like the, the holy trinity of Christian virtue, right? Faith, hope, and love. These are, these are huge. These are incredible things. Let's talk quickly about them. I, I thank you, I thank God for your faith in Jesus Christ. He's wanting to highlight that the people of Colossae have placed their trust and their identity in Jesus Christ. This makes them distinct from the other people in the city of Colossae. This is huge, your faith in Christ. I thank God for your love, the love you have for all God's people. Here Paul mentions their love. This is the Greek word agape, which is that kind of unconditional love for all God's people. Right? He's highlighting this unconditional, this indiscriminate love for one another and he's, he's valuing, he's praising God for it. It's a love that costs people something and it's worth mentioning here in the letter. And then finally, this hope stored up in heaven. Notice what Paul is saying is that faith and love spring forth from this hope. A hope that's stored up in heaven. Uh, we have a future that is secure And because we have a future that's secure in eternity with Jesus Christ, that gives us hope no matter what we face. And because of that hope and that security, we can live in faith and we can live in love. Oh, it's beautiful. What what Paul is highlighting here in these couple of verses is this foundational Christian virtue, this faith and love flowing from a hope that's anchored in the gospel. It's all anchored in the gospel. Faith, hope, and love anchored in the gospel. And these things are our foundational virtues that, that, that we long for in ourselves, but we also long for in the people that we know and we love. And, and if we hear someone that we know and love and they're exercising or exhibiting these virtues, whoa, like we want to praise God too, right? Um, just this, like a couple weeks ago, we had parent-teacher conferences, Right? And that's a totally different experience between student and parent. I don't know which is more nerve-wracking. I don't know. Anyone? Okay. Anyway, so then we, we, we go to the class for Emmy, and, and uh, again, like, 
yeah, we all have things to work on, um, but I'm not going to share that. I'm going to brag on my daughter a little bit. But we, we go into the class, and, and the teacher just says, Your, Emmy has just this heart that cares for other kids, particularly ones who maybe are left out a little bit. She just, she'll walk with them, and she'll have this patience, and, and I'm just so thankful for her, her care and her compassion. Like, okay, we can work on math or whatever, right? Like, talk about making a, a, a dad and a mom, like, so overflowing with pride and, and appreciation. Like, okay, we, we got the foundation. We can work on the other things, right? And we're, we're grateful. These, these Christian, these, these virtues of faith, hope, and love, worth celebrating. Amen? Worth celebrating and thanking God for. Well, well Paul opens with these, this word of thanks for these virtues, and then the next part, he, he moves on to offer a specific prayer for the church in Colossae. Uh, he writes this, prayers for wisdom, right? What does he pray for? He prays for wisdom. Wisdom, now we get back to our wisdom. He says, I continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And he goes on and on, and there's all kinds of words that we could explore, uh, but for, for the sake of time, I just want to highlight some of the things that he talks about and groups together with this idea of wisdom. Notice for Paul, wisdom is not about data and information, right? Or opinion for that matter, right? Uh, wisdom is so much more than data, information, or even knowledge. Um, wisdom is, is more than just the accumulation of information and data. By the way, we have access to more information than any other time in human history through the internet, right? Through the Google machine. And I think we'd all agree that has not made us more wise, <laughs> right? Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Wisdom is something more than just an accumulation of information and data. We have a lot of information and data, but wisdom is something more. Here's, here's a way, I, I was talking to pa uh, Pastor Aaron, and on the left there, kind of summarizing wisdom uh, in, in kind of a quick, concise way. No, be, do. Like wisdom is more than just knowing. No, be, do. And then as I was looking at this, like noticing like how the Colossians pas passage uh, kind of touches on those things, right? So the passage that Paul references wisdom, he talks about knowledge and understanding in verse nine. Uh, he talks about character, uh, like patience in verse 11, endurance and patience, that's really about character. And then finally about right living, right? And, and bearing fruit, uh, and that's about doing. And so wisdom is more than just knowledge and information. It's about applying that and living it in a way that that's, that's what wisdom is. And then, of course, in our conversation, we're like, look at our vision. Our vision statement fits right in there, right? Uh, our vision uh, to see everyone uh, being found and formed by following Jesus. That's our vision statement. Found in. Do we know who we are? Do we know where our identity is, that we are distinct because we claim Jesus Christ as Lord? Do we understand that we are found in Jesus? And then be in character, we're being formed by Jesus, spiritual formation, like is the spirit of God at work in the quiet, as Linda reminded us, to be forming these virtues of love and joy, the fruit of the spirit. And, and out of that then, our hope is that as the spirit moves and forms us, then we begin to live in a way that reflects and that reflects our model, who is Jesus Christ. We begin following Jesus Christ, meaning we live the way Jesus lived, particularly if he lived 
in our time and place. So all that, Paul is praying for wisdom, and that's kind of how he opens. And I don't know about you, but that begs the question, like, like of all the things he could have prayed for, why wisdom? Why does, why does Paul here pray for wisdom? God thanks God, Paul thanks God for their virtue and then prays for wisdom. Why? And I think here is where we begin to get one of the key purposes of the letter itself. Again, he's writing a letter of instruction to a specific church community in the ancient world. Thanking God for virtues. We, we want virtues. We want to pray for virtues. But here's the thing. How do I live out those virtues? Like we say, yeah, love people. Okay, what does it look like to love people? There's a lot of disagreement about that right now. Believe in Jesus, live out of faith. What does it look like to live out of faith? There's some disagreement about that, right? Because living out the Christian virtues is difficult and nuanced. And honestly, it requires wisdom. It requires wisdom and discernment. And not just in our own little islands, but within community. We'll talk a little bit about that in this series as well. But Christian virtue, live faithfully, requires wisdom. Again, going back to Emmy, right? Going back to Emmy, she's, she's got this foundation of love and she's got this, this heart for people. But, but what happens if, if one of the people that she's trying to include like lashes out or is having a bad day and like maybe hits her or something? Okay, what does it look like to love then? Or, or, or here's our prayer request. What does it look like to love your brother? You know, get along with each other, right? Because living the virtues requires wisdom and discernment because let's be honest, it's just hard. And this is a really a lot about what Paul's letters are working through. Paul is offering instruction and wisdom regarding how to live out faith, hope, love, the fruit of the Spirit in a particular context. And honestly, I think this is where it's a gift that these are letters and not something more like a theology book or an instruction manual. Because, because they're letters, what we get to do is we get to have a little sneak peek at how the earliest Christian leaders uh, instructed the people and applied their faith in Jesus Christ in a variety of different issues and contexts if you look at all of the letters. Right? We get to see how they applied their faith in Christ and how they're commanded to love people in their particular context. And in that, that helps us discern how to do the same in our own. It requires a little work because we can't just take one for one. It takes a little work to discern. But imagine if it was like an instruction manual where like God gave to us like this manual filled with all of the things, how you are to respond in all these different circumstances. Can you, you can't even imagine how long that manual would be. It'd be thousands of volumes long, right? Like, how do I, how do I, you know, not stay on Google, you know, all day? Go to chapter, you know, it would just be incredibly long. Instead, we have these letters that give us a sneak peek and into the mind of Paul and the early church and how they wrestle with these issues and discern in community how to live faithfully as Jesus Christ. I think that that's actually more helpful than if we just had a theology book or an instruction manual. Are you with me? The New Testament letters can be incredibly helpful for Christians reading them 2,000 years later. 
They offer us a variety of examples of Christians working out their salvation with fear and trembling. This humble uh, posture of how do I live as being one with Christ, Philippians 2.12. Discerning how to live out their faith in Christ. How do, we, how, do we, how do we love people? All with a sense of hope in God's future in our unique context. The letters help us in that. But what we can't do is simply read these letters through our modern day lens. Like we get in so much trouble if we, we try to interpret things through our perspective and our lens. Like what is that all about? And should we do that? And what ends up happening when we do that is we just end up picking and choosing the things that we like and, and then dismissing the things we don't like, right? But that's not the best practice for biblical interpretation. Here's the thing. As we think about making the connection to today, as we think about letters, very important. The foundation is the same. Okay, so a different context does not mean that the foundation changes. The foundation remains the same, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that God took on human flesh, stepped into this world, God moving toward us, s- gave up his own life, died on a cross, rose again. This gospel is what the virtues come, come pouring out of like a fountain. Uh, but our context is different. Right? Same gospel, same foundation, but our context 2,000 years later is completely different and it requires wisdom and it requires discernment. And so as we go through this series, again, this is kind of just an overview kind of introduction, the differences are gonna be very apparent. Right? The, first, the context of first century Colossae is, is, is different. Are there similarities? Yeah, there are, and there are things we can draw from. But it's different than the 21st century here in America or in the West. And the pressures are different. Now, do we have internal pressures? Do we have external? Yeah. So there's a lot of application and things we can glean from. But throughout this series, we're going to identify and uncover some of those differences. And hopefully, as we do that, it'll aid in our, our mutual interpretation and discernment of this holy and ancient letter. And this letter will then become a partner that we get to lean into in the spirit and seek wisdom and begin to discern how we are to live as Christ followers right here, 2022, Holland, Michigan, in our time and place. And what I want to say right from the beginning is my hope is not to just give simple answers, but my hope is that we would all be invited into this work of the spirit to discern, to seek wisdom. What Linda did for us this morning to just quiet our hearts is such a gift because we, we need that kind of rhythm to spend time in the word, to spend time uh, in prayer and silence listening, not only to God, but then time in community listening to one another because, friends, wisdom is not easy. Wisdom is not at the end of a Google search. Wisdom is so much more. How are we to live? Wisdom, wisdom. We kind of began with kind of a funny hypothetical about an app. Um, there's no app coming, right? There's no Google Decisions app coming that I'm aware of. And by the way, if there is, I would run as far away from that as you possibly can. There's no app. There's no app to give us turn-by-turn instructions in this life. It requires something more, wisdom. Here's something I learned. Um, Pastor Bob, pastor at the previous church I came from, dear friend. Uh, pastor Bob was uh, a, um, he, he was a garbage man and, a, and he drove block around Chicago um, before he went into ministry. And so because he drove truck all around Chicago, 
he had to, and they didn't have, he's a little older than me, so they didn't have Google Maps, right? He had to understand, there's a grid system. And so he was like telling me about the grid system in Chicago. Now, whether there's a grid system in Holland, I have no idea. I'm, I'm new still, kind of. But in Grand Rapids, all of a sudden we're going on visits together and he starts explaining kind of the grid system in the city of Grand Rapids. Not to bore you, yeah, not to bore you, okay. Don't, don't, go, don't go down that trail, rabbit trail. But like um, Eastern Avenue is what we lived on. Avenues um, go north and south. Streets go east and west. All the numbers are in uh, 800 house numbers per mile. And so that's why a lot of the, the, the street numbers go in, in groups of eight, like 68th Street, 76th Street. Okay, so he's like explaining all this. Grand Rapids also is split up into four quadrants. So in, at the end of the address, you have southeast or northeast or northwest. Anyway, right? So, so the, the idea is if you have a street number and the street name, if you have the address, you should be able to find where that is if you know the grid and if you understand the foundational principle behind the grid system, right? Does that make sense? You're like, I don't believe you. Well, talk to a Chicago truck driver, you know. <laughs> they'll, they'll know the grid system. I don't, but the theory is if you know the foundation, if you know the founda foundational principle, you'll be able to know where you need to go with just an address. Now, I understand the parallel is not precise and it's not that simple, but we might not have an instruction manual. We might not have an app, right, Google Decisions, to tell us exactly what to do, but we do have a foundational principle. And that foundational principle is what we remembered last week on Easter Sunday. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our foundational principle. This truth, this reality that the God of the universe refused to leave us lost in our own sin and misery and said, I'm, I'm taking on flesh and my son Jesus Christ, I'm gonna step into that brokenness. Jesus came into this world. He lived a life. He showed us what it looks like to live different in this world. And what did he do? Out of love, he laid down his life so that we might have this hope for today and for tomorrow. This is our foundational principle, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Friends, may this foundational principle be the bedrock on which we move forward in this series and in life. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. And Lord, as we, we gathered last week, but not just last week, but every Sunday, we gather to remember the truth of this good news, this gospel of grace this gift that we did not earn, that we did not deserve, but Lord, because of your grace and your love, you came to rescue us. Lord, may this gospel, a gospel that, that, that reframes love differently than our world, a, a love that lays down one's life. Lord, may, these, may, these prince, may this gospel form us and shape us and may it produce within us virtues of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And Lord, may, may you in your wisdom 
as we gather as community, offer discernment and wisdom as we wrestle with the scriptures, as we wrestle with the things that we face, recognizing that, that living and making decisions and being a light in this world is, is not always easy, but we don't do it alone. So Spirit, empower us. Work among us. Work through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
name it is, nothing can stand against. What more should we be focusing on as our foundation? And now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.